Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe. And for the next hour, we'll be talking project management and related topics with our special guests. I also want to take a moment, of course, to thank our sponsor, the PMO Squad. The PMO Squad is home of the purpose-driven PMO and PMO as a service. To learn more about how empowering people to deliver results can help your organization, visit thepmosquad.com and learn more about their services. I also want to take a moment right now to invite everybody to register for International Project Management Day's online conference, which can be found at the IIL website. If you go out to IIL.com, that's the International Institute for Learning, select IPM Day and get your registration there. If you're a veteran, a service member, or military spouse, you can get registration for free. So IIL has partnered with VPMMA. We're super excited about this partnership. The online conference is $59, runs from November 7th for three months, and 26 PDUs, 26 different speakers. To have access to all of that content for free uh, for our veterans and service members and spouses is an amazing opportunity. Thank you so much to IIL for giving us that opportunity And everybody, please go take advantage of that offer. If you're not a veteran and you still want to be able to attend, you can use promo code PMOSquad and get $10 off the registration. So everybody, please go out there today. You can register now and the conference starts on November 7th. The beauty of the online conference, right, is over that three-month window, you can actually take in all of the content. And when we attend conferences in person, unfortunately, you probably only get about a quarter or less of the content because you can't be in more than one place at once. Uh, So, again, an online conference, that's great for everybody in our industry to attend. So with that, I am super excited today to have our guests, Laura Burford and Andrew Maynard, on with us. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Laura, if, if you could, please take a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners and share a little bit about yourself. Sure, Joe. Thank you very much for having us or having me on this uh, session today. I'm looking forward to it. My background is I've spent most of my career as a project manager, but really a project manager that's been a consultant. And I've set up large PMOs, international consulting oper- set up established international consulting operations, managed large projects before going out on my own, working with small and mid-sized businesses. Nowadays, I really focus on working with business professionals, many of whom are project managers, to become consultants. And we start with honing in on their focus so that they can truly become successful, independent professionals working as a consultant, and working with organizations. So uh, that's a little bit of my background. That's fantastic. And your organization is LAD Enterprises? 
LAD Enterprises, as well as um, the founder of Laura's Consulting Guide, which is online courses for people who are looking to become consultants. That's fantastic. Thanks for joining us today and looking forward to the content as we dig in here. And Andrew, please uh, take a moment to introduce yourself. So I, at least my main my day job is a professor at Arizona State University. I actually started my professional career looking after sewage works in the UK. Oh, wow. Before I decided that wasn't where I wanted to go. And I um, did a PhD in physics and spent many years in the research lab. But these days, uh, most of my work revolves around how we get emerging technologies right. Um, and especially if you're a, a company or an entrepreneur uh, developing uh, new tech, new products, working out where the unexpected pitfalls are and how to actually get around that on your journey between a, a good idea and its successful implementation. That's fantastic. And, and what's the name of the school that you're a part of? It. Yeah, ASU? so I, um, I'm a professor in the School for the Future of Innovation in Society. How awesome is that I, I know. Yeah. I, nobody's quite sure what it means, but it's a really awesome name. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks for joining us today, uh, both of you. And uh, so let's dig in. Let's talk project management and innovation and risk and, and all those other fun topics. You know, Laura, I, I guess uh, first thing for me is, the PMI Global Conference was just uh, recently took place, uh, and you were able to be a speaker at that. Can you share a little bit about that session and, and the Congress itself? It's the big 50-year anniversary, so it was a little bit of a special celebration for the industry. It was definitely a special celebration. They went PMI went all out, and it was held here in Philadelphia, which is where I live. So it was quite interesting to see people coming in from all over the world the conference. What, what, my se- yeah, I was going to say, what was sorry, your session uh, specifically about? My session actually tied, and I was very surprised because when I submitted the proposal to speak at the conference, my feeling was, well, you know, this topic's a little off. But I was taken back, and really, my presentation dovetailed very nicely with the two keynote speeches for the session because the session was all the. Congress was all about the project economy. And what I talked about was innovate you, the entrepreneur within. And what we discussed, and I mean we discussed because I opened it up to the audience, was how do you as a project manager survive in the world going forward? The future of work and how we work is changing. And more and more people are becoming independent professionals. And many times we say, yes, this is what's happening and this is how the world's changing. But we never explain to project managers what that means. What knowledge and skills do they need to hone so that they can be successful going forward? PMI has a great talent triangle, but many people tend to hone in on the technical aspects or some leaderships, but they don't think about the entrepreneur aspects of that triangle and what that means for their future. So we talked about that as well as how organizations such as PMOs might need to start thinking a little bit out of the box and being innovative so that they can build the right partnerships with the independent professionals. Yeah, I love that topic. Uh, And of course, the PMO squad, we've gone outside the box and we've rebranded PMO. It's no longer in our world. We don't call it project management office anymore. It's purpose, measure, optimize because each industry and each organization is unique to their needs. So why are we trying to use a common term for something that's unique? 
so I'm with you. It's time to innovate and take project management in a new direction. I'm super excited about the new direction of the project economy and everything that that brings to us. Well, one of the things I said to the people in the room, needless to say, they're all project managers, they have an edge up because they know how to manage a project. They know how to scope it out, plan it, and execute it. And uh, there are a number of people that in this new world struggle with managing a project. So project managers, you have a leg up. You have a skill and knowledge in an area that there are a fair number of people that don't have it. Okay. But I guess another thing that I want to ask is, um, as the conference unfolded, a new logo was uh, displayed. And online on LinkedIn, man, the chatter was going crazy uh, about, I'd say, unfortunately, mostly negative thoughts on that, but certainly some thinking about what the future has to hold and a new look and a new brand is the way to do that. Well, I I didn't attend the conference, so I, I don't get the boots on the ground view of how things went. What was the thoughts like there when that happened? That's a tough question to ask. Mainly because, as you said, the chatter online was mainly negative. I heard more negative than positive even at the conference. People liked the fact that there was a new logo, that we have a new brand. It's updated. It's a little bit more up-to-date, for lack of a better word. People struggled with it because they don't understand it. The new logo is symbols. And unless you have a piece of paper in front of you that explains the symbols, you don't understand what they mean. So people were a little taken back because at least with the old logo, we knew it was PMI. Now you really don't know it's PMI. And that was the feeling of a number of people in the room. So I always... I was going to say, I always find it fascinating. Speaking as the outsider here, I've been involved with so many organizations where no matter what's going on, it's the logo, which is the important <laughs> thing. Right. It's, I, people seem to sort of invest their identity in what they've grown up with. And changing it is definitely not allowed. Well, it's interesting, Andrew. I don't think people were opposed to the fact that it was changed. I think what people were really struggling with is they don't understand it. Right, right. You could very easily identify with the old logo. Although it is interesting that if you think of how many logos are images, so I I guess what they've done is they've done a hybrid between just letters and an image. Um, But so many organizations, their their logo is just an image that that encapsulates the the, the essence of the organization rather than something literal. So it's interesting that that this has sort of raised so many sort of hackles. And I'm just sort of seeing... Yeah, actually, I quite like that, you know. So, yes. I'm, just, I, I'm just looking at the new logo here. This is live on air. I'm showing Andrew the <laughs> right, new logo. Yeah. He's seeing the symbols that we're referring to. It's innovative. It's pushing the boundaries. Well, that was what the conference was about. And right. people commented that they liked the fact that there was a rebranding, but they just don't understand it. Maybe in time, things will change once people get comfortable with it. Well, I think what's been helpful since the conference is there's been multiple communications that have come out from PMI and, and the Sunil, the president, about the future and the direction and what they're trying to do and changes that they've made of, you know, just as an example, right, opening offices in London and China and not just being out of Philadelphia. I mean, just small but not small changes that I think are trying to connect it and make it be a, 
a flatter world, as we've described in books over the past couple decades, uh, that it's not just U.S. centric, right? It is really a project management or a project economy. So we'll see. I guess time will tell, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We'll see how it goes. But, you know, Andrew, with that mindset, like your immediate reaction as uh, we'll call you an outsider. Right. <laughs> uh, is you loved it, but your your job itself is a bit open to entrepreneurialism and change, right? It is. And actually, so there are so many interesting connections here. So, yes, I mean, as a, an academic and as a scientist and actually as, a, as an author, I love breaking boundaries. I love seeing different connections and doing things differently. So I, I most definitely have this entrepreneurial mindset and I, I work with people who are trying to change what they do, but with a purpose. So I'm excited by this, but I also work in this realm of risk. Some of the stuff we do around risk is looking at the blindsiding risks, the things that you don't usually account for. And usually those come down to social movements or personal attitudes. So, for instance, if you think about the risks of changing a logo, it's the sort of thing that if you're sitting down as a board, you'd think this isn't real risk management. It's just a logo. And yet it is so important to people that that's the sort of risk that you can easily overlook. Yeah. Well, and part of that is just as organizations and service providers out there, we've all used that logo right. for 50 years. Right. And now I have to go change my letterhead and change my website and change my training material the, and change all of the that. The knock-on effects are tremendous. So, so we actually we have a word for this sort of risk, and it's an orphan risk. So, so this is a, a risk that's been left out into the cold, in the cold. You could see it if you looked for it, but you just don't notice it until all of a sudden it comes back and bites you. So this idea of thinking... Changing a logo, really easy. What could possibly go wrong? And then you realize that it's got this trickle-down effect with everybody who your organization touches. Well, what I love about what you're doing and in, in our initial conversations about all this is project management, of course, is, is all about risk. Right. And having an, a university setting to think about it outside of the project management world can bring in unique perspectives that I think we will all benefit from. I, I would really hope that that's the case. Um, and so, for instance, that the more I think about it, the, the closer those those connections are. So one of the tools we use, for instance, is thinking about progress as a journey. And we think especially in terms of entrepreneurs in a, in a world where everything is changing really fast, where they've got to move from where they are at the moment and navigate a series of hurdles to where they want to get to. And in our world, those hurdles are these orphan risks. But exactly the same if you're involved with project management. You've got to look to the future and work out where you're going and how you're going to plan that journey out. Yeah. Well, also, it also ties to the independent professional, the person in the future who could be out on their own working as a consultant many times it's, it's risky to go out on your own and it's a way to think that is new to many project managers that they think risk project oriented now they have to open up their horizons and think risk as an entrepreneur and even when they're working with a client it's no longer just the risk of the project they need to think about they need to think of the risks to them right and that's a whole new realm of risk that many project managers are not accustomed to thinking about. So one thing we, we do in that arena, and again, I, I think this is really pertinent, is we try and move the conversation away from risk. Because risk, to be honest, is a 
bit of a downer. Nobody really likes talking about risk. It's not something you really want in your life. Yeah, how many positive risks are there? I know. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But so what we do is we think about value creation and, and we talk about what you have of value that you want to keep and what you want to grow. Um, but not only that, um, what is the value of your clients, your investors, the community that you're part of? What do they want to keep hold of and what do they want to grow? And then risk becomes the things that threaten to take away that value. So whether you're somebody going out on your own or whether you're in an organization, sort of thinking about what's important to you and the people around you and how you avoid barriers to that being pulled away from you is, a, to me, a more positive way of thinking about things. Yeah, and I can, you know, I have a, a my personal story aligns great with this. You know, six and a half years ago, I was running a $500 million portfolio in a healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And I was done with corporate America. I said, I need to take care of my own personal interest and decided to go start the PMO squad. But the PMO squad was just me, right? Right. And I I turned to my wife, who was a stay-at-home mom, and and I was the sole income. And we said, are we going to do this or not? And she said, absolutely. You just can't fail. Right. Right. (laughs) So so, so that was not a, you can't fail, but you cannot fail. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) So so I had to immediately go into that value proposition of right. here I am with a fantastic salary, a 6,000 square foot house. Uh, you know, everything I ever wanted was mine. Right. And now it was all potentially going away if it didn't work. Right. And my wife didn't add any <laughs> pressure, of course, and said, it won't fail. Right. So, yeah, Laura, you know, you, you hit on that, right? As project managers, risk management versus entrepreneur project manager, very different. Yes. It's very different. And, uh, when I was presenting and I brought that up, you could see the eyes of some people just like get wide and they're like, whoa, we never thought about that. Yeah. But uh, it is it is something that's new for many project managers to think about. Yeah. But what I love about the story is, as well is it is all about that value proposition and not necessarily a conventional value proposition of being secure with a big house and a large salary, but really identifying what is important to you and the people that are close to you. Yeah. The value had shifted. Right. right? As a 22-year-old versus a 40-year-old, right. our value systems evolve, right? Yes. And, and as we know, this isn't unique to project management. I mean, we live in the gig economy now. We call it the project economy, but it's now in a world of independent thinkers out mm-hmm. there and independent workers. And I think that will continue to evolve and grow as well. Yeah. Laura, you touched on this, but we didn't dig into it at all, right? What would be your advice? I mean, how do you counsel these PMs who are looking to go out as consultants? What's some words of wisdom that you can share with the listeners at home for Jane and John Doe PM who are listening thinking, hmm, should I go out on my own? The first thing I say to people is you have a title and it probably says project manager, but what words do you want to put in front of that that title of project manager? The first thing you need to do is you have to be clear. Well, I'm going to go back a second. The first step, and I'm going to call it step zero, Step zero is determining if consulting is even for you. I watch many project managers think that they're going to become a consultant and they go out and they fail. And they fail for a number of reasons, but one reason they fail is really they're not up for the risk that's necessary to be an entrepreneur. You talked about your experience, Joe. I can talk about my experience. And Andrew, 
you deal with it day in and day out with where you're at. But people need to understand what it means to be a consultant. But once they get past that and they decide that consulting is really for them, I talk about you need to put some words in front of project manager. You have to come up with that your focus, that one thing that's going to have you stand out so that you become known to, as the go-to person. And that requires you to take a step back and think about who you are, and that ties to your value comment that you made, Andrew, as well as building on who you are. I've watched a number of project managers try to go down a different path and not build on the experience and expertise they have, but all of a sudden say, you know, there's a need out there for agile project managers. I know I don't have any experience in agile, but, you know, there's a need, so let me try to hone in on that. And then they don't take a step back and think of, what is the demand and desire? What are people willing to pay them for? So I tell people they really need to start and hone in with their focus. And when it comes to being entrepreneurial, they need to think about being innovative, creative, build on their interpersonal skills. They need some intellectual property. And the question I got asked was, well, what do you do if you don't have any intellectual property? And I have never found a project manager that does not have some intellectual property. You might have to pull it out of them, or they need to pull it out of themselves, but they have some intellectual property. So there are a number of things, but everything comes back to that focus and that one thing, that niche, that's going to help them stand out. And until people can get that, hone in on that, I watch people struggle. So that when people ask me what they need to do, even if they're still within a corporation and they're working saying, you know, in the future, I want to do this. I, I hone in on that one thing that focuses for them. Hopefully yeah. that gives people some ideas and some things to think about at home. Yeah. It's, it's in, interesting you say that, right? My, the legal name of the PMO squad is actually PM professional services corporation, right? Nice vanilla name. Mm -hmm. And as I incorporated that, I said, man, that's a stupid name. No one's going to remember that. And that's that led to the PMO squad. And now everybody tells me, man, I love that name. The PMO squad is awesome. So immediately my IP, my distinction was just my name. And right. that, that helped open doors for me uh, beyond just starting the company. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I personally, this is great, right? Because I'm taking a trip down memory lane to remember how I started <laughs> and, and how it all began. Thinking of starting, right, Andrew, for ASU, how did this risk innovation accelerator story. How did all of that happen? Goodness. So that goes back a, a number of years. Um, so for many years, I was working with the US government on nanotechnology, but we were looking at how we put policies in place and how we put investments in place um, to allow this, what was then a new era of technology to grow. And as I was involved with that, um, I was particularly interested in the risk side. Um, so there's the risk of are these new things we're creating going to hurt people? Are they going to hurt the environment? Are they going to hurt businesses when people decide that the last thing they want is this nano gizmo thing? As I was working in that, that area, it was very clear that as we develop these new technologies or new capabilities, and, and this is sort of across the board with any sort of enterprises, if, as, if you're trying to do something new, more often than not, the conventional ways we have of dealing with risk just don't work. Um, risk management is really good for dealing with yesterday's risks. It's lousy for dealing with tomorrow's risks. And so I was intrigued with how you actually change this paradigm. How do you equip people to be agile in the face of new challenges, new obstacles? And so the idea began to grow over a period of years of 
can we take an innovation mindset and apply it to risk in the same way as we apply it to other things? Um, so risk innovation is simply thinking like an entrepreneur when it comes to risk. How can you actually pull value out of risk? How do you, can, how do you think about risk in ways which allow you to build something new and something different? So that, that was the genesis of it. And we've begun to sort of codify that into a, a series of tools and insights that allow businesses in particular be able to chart a new way forwards if they're in largely uncharted territory with what they're doing, but they've still got to think about risk so that they're not blindsided. So how does an undergrad or a grad student <laughs> bring that with, with limited business experience, yep. right? Because yep. you, you shared your experience that led to this. right. So if you're missing that foundational experience, how do you leverage that? How do you get into this? Well, a number of ways. And I actually, this isn't something that takes a lot of training, but it needs an open mind and it needs that willingness to um, change the way you do things and see new opportunities. So for instance, if you look at how we're training our undergraduates and even our graduates, we're trying to give them more of an entrepreneurial um, and interdisciplinary mindset. So no matter whether they're training in engineering or in business or in some other areas, they can see ways of pulling on resources and joining the dots that other people can't. Part of that is explicit training in risk innovation. Part of it is just giving them that ability to see ways forward that other people are missing so that they can succeed. But then there's a very specific part of that which is relevant to the business community. So we're beginning to develop um, training approaches and modules where you can take somebody that doesn't have this background. So maybe they have a business background or project management background but they don't have the skill set or the understanding to navigate a very new type of risk landscape. Here, we're developing techniques which allow people to come up to speed really fast here. And to give an example of that, one of the tasks we set ourselves was, how do we help an entrepreneur that has no time and no money understand how to navigate the risk landscape they're going to have to navigate in order to be successful? And the next step from there was thinking, say we just have 30 minutes of their time. Is there something we can do in 30 minutes which will help them see their pathway forwards differently? The answer is we can do stuff there. And we've actually developed a tool that in roughly 30 minutes helps people think about what's important to them, what's likely to threaten it, and the small steps they can take to overcome those threats. I mean, that's all can fascinating. Can I ask a question? Andrew, yeah. what would you say to a project manager who's been working in the project management field for, say, 15, 20 years, who is very set in their ways and has always thought about risk, and please, Joe, jump in, has always thought about risk the way they've been trained to think about risk from a PMI perspective, yep. and from the PMBOK perspective. Sure. So I would say don't ditch your training because it's really important and really foundational. But be aware that the world is changing to the extent that not everything that you've been trained to do and not everything that's been successful in the past is going to succeed. So to give you an example, if you look at what's happening in companies like Google and Microsoft and Facebook at the moment, some of the big challenges they're facing are not technical challenges. They're not necessarily organizational challenges. They are social movement challenges. So all of a sudden, they've discovered that where they thought that they were able to have a license to operate um, in the world because they were doing things in a certain way, they no longer can. And that touches on things like working with the military. 
um, privacy, internal privacy um, guidelines. And they're beginning to realize that the formal systems they have of either running an organization or developing and managing projects are running into problems because they didn't talk to people about what others thought was right or wrong or appropriate or inappropriate. And so this is where I come back to the person that's been in this field for a long time to say it's a yes and situation. Yes, and you're doing the right thing, but be aware there are different types of hurdles coming down the pike. And if you don't have your eyes open to be able to see those and see how to navigate around them, at some point you're going to hit a wall. Can I um, dovetail a little bit into something I talk to business, C-level people in businesses about periodically? And it, it deals with this changing world of work and the independent professional and how organizations have to change as well. And part of the changing is their onboarding, how they're recruiting independent professionals, the fact that in some cases, the organization has decided to keep a core group of people and just bring in the experts when they need them. One of the conversations I've had is there's a risk involved there. And how are you dealing with that risk? How, how would you respond? And I know I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> how would you respond to a C-level executive who really doesn't, my words, doesn't get it? Yeah, with Gentleness and humility and persistence. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this to me is is part of the mindset change where you help people understand that um, their perspective is valuable, but they need to widen that perspective if they're going to see the things that are going to trip them up. And one of the ways we do that is take people through case studies and exercises where they can see a scenario that they identify with. They understand from the scenario their business and their role in the business. And then we use that scenario to show how things could potentially unfold in ways that are going to be harmful. And that's the entry in in a very very easy, very um, accessible way to help people understand that maybe they need more than just how they've done things in the past. But I found with this and and with almost all of my work, and I work a lot around um, science communication and engagement, you don't bring about change by telling people that they're wrong and they've got to do things differently. You bring about change by building trust with people um, and then helping them see a slightly different pathway forward as a result of that. And I know another area where that could tie into that is executives and, you know, going back, I guess, probably about a decade now would never would have said, let's take all of our terabytes worth of data and remove them from our servers and put them into a data center that hosts the same data from our competitors. Right. Mm -hmm. But now they're comfortable doing that. And the expectation is they would never store that data internally because of the cost. That's that's right. So so you do see these changes. Um, You just have to be aware of of the process with which those changes come about. Yeah. And, And when they happen, when the when the dam breaks. Yep be prepared to to go downstream in a boat and not drown. That That's exactly it. And I think part of that, that story and, and that narrative is the understanding that things are going to change and you want to put yourself in a position where you have more agility than your competitors. So you can be the person in the boat going downstream rather than the person flailing in the water. I love it. You know, another thing that both of you have in common is you're both authors Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, Laura, you've written a book that I think is obviously uh, relevant to the topic today. Can you talk a little bit about, I believe it's called the Project Management for Flat Organizations? 
Sure. The book was written a few years ago. It was written mainly for the for people who are not going to go become they're not looking to become certified project managers. I was working with a lot of smaller organizations because when I left corporate America and decided that for life reasons, I did not want to be traveling all around the world. I found that people really struggled to get things done and get them done on time. And it wasn't even on time. I didn't care if people got things done on time as long as the quality was there and the customers were served. And I shouldn't say I didn't care, but I think you get the gist. I'm more concerned about the quality and meeting the needs of a client than making sure it's on time. Yeah. But I also found that organizations did not understand what it meant to run a project. And they did not want all the formal processes that PMI has in place. And when I talk smaller, I'm talking really in the mid-market. They didn't want all the formality that was in place. So we took a little innovative approach to how do you run projects and streamlined the approach down. It's similar to approach I took with, and I know Joe, we've moved somewhat away from the PMO kind of terminology, but the same type of approach I've taken with PMOs that you need a framework and everybody needs to be able to be innovative, creative, and work differently. And there's probably only a core number of things that people need to do. So it's the same type of approach with the book as I followed for PMOs, uh, setting up international consulting ops, and that I even do with work with uh, people who want to become consultants, it's a similar approach because it's everything can't be rigid, but you have to go back and think about what are you trying to do? What is the risk? What makes sense? Where is the value? Everything that we're talking about here. So it was an approach to try to help people succeed going forward in what we now call the project economy. I was just kind of a little bit ahead of the time when I put that book out. I think it's a great topic. It's certainly relevant to the discussion today. And, you know, starting with purpose and understanding why we're doing what we're doing, I think is is undervalued. And people are geared on, are you on time and are you on budget as opposed to did you provide value through quality and deliver what they were looking for? What was interesting, too, is as I was writing the book, that I had a number of traditional publishers interested in, and I was like, this is just a book on project management. I'm just taking a slightly different approach, and that was it. And Andrew, of course, you're an author as well. Yes, um, something completely different, which on the face of it has nothing to do with project management, but you dig under the surface and actually I think it has a lot to do with it. So this is uh, my latest book on science fiction movies, um, um, which is really quite an abrupt segue. But <laughs> so I should say it, it's a, a book about risk innovation masquerading as a book about science fiction book, uh, movies. So, so this is a book that really I wanted to help people understand what some of these blindsiding, these orphan risks are, um, whether you're in business or in government or just somebody trying to make sense of the, the tech world we're living in. 
And so they could wrap their hands around them and they could begin to see how they navigate through them. So again, it's back to the, the journey between where you are and, and where you want to be. But of course, it's really boring just writing a book sort of saying, well, sort of this is step A, step B, step C to understanding the world around you. Um, and I wanted more people than just a very narrow slice of society writing it. So I decided to write it around 12 science fiction movies, which was great because it gave me an excuse to watch a lot of movies. But what you actually find is sci-fi movies, irrespective of how good how lousy they are on the science, most of them tell really interesting stories about our relationship to technology and our relationship to the world, what can go wrong and how we navigate that. So it in the book, I use that, that platform of, of movies to pull out insights into how we can think about a changing world and how we can succeed within that changing world. Yeah, it was interesting for me last night, um, as those regular listeners know, I'm a member of the Sim Arizona chapter. And last night we had our monthly meeting and Ruth Wiley from ASU was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, was on and she was talking about uh, Neil Stevenson and the sci-fi community mm-hmm. working with ASU and predicting future, not predicting future, but preparing for future. Right. And understanding how sci-fi, again, good, bad, and different on the quality of the movie or the book. But it led, if you think of where we've come from there, uh, Singular Principle and uh, with HAL and 2001 mm-hmm. Space Odyssey, yes. and the future has come true. And in the project management world, we think about execution of tasks for today's event. Right. And we don't think about the future yep. task. So to me, I'm fascinated by, in the project management space, certainly I don't want to write a, <laughs> uh, a story about, uh, you know, lunar landing in, or, or Mars landing in a project space. But guess what? We're going to run a project of how we're going to land on Mars. See, that's exactly it. And to me, this is very much a, a yes and conversation. How do you plan for today while setting the foundations for tomorrow? Because things are moving so fast that if you just look at the the near future, you're going to miss something or you're going to create a, a foundation that's going to crumble as soon as the, the next big challenge or the next big project comes along. Yeah, and, I, and Laura, I guess that all of this really is around storytelling, right? We're authoring a book is that you're, you're telling a story and, and the storytelling, do you play it all into that with entrepreneurs and how that's an important component to uh, their career evolution? Yes, I do. Storytelling is important, and we actually start talking about storytelling as people are figuring out their focus, believe it or not, because I have people take a step back and think about what they've done from both a personal and professional perspective and come up with the top five stories and stories I'm putting in quotes, but top five experiences and tell me a story about that experience. Why was it an experience? So we start there. But as they go forward and figure out their brand message and talk about their brand, they need to be able to tell a story. We talk about how stories can captivate a potential client. And we talk about how stories sometimes are the best way to get an introduction into a meeting with somebody. So storytelling is very important. I in my book, I use stories throughout to help explain concepts. And I think, Andrew, you do some of the same. You use stories. Uh, you use scientific movies in your book. I use other movies. 
when I teach project management. Yeah. So it, it's really helpful to use movies. People yeah. Can uh, to them. And, and so I, I absolutely, I find in my work that I, stories are how we communicate with each other, how we implant our ideas into somebody's head, how we develop partnerships and relationships. Um, they're integral to almost everything we do. So if you can understand the process of storytelling and use it, you can achieve far more than if you don't. Um, and this fascinates me coming from a, a scientific background, where the idea of communication in science used to be, it's not so much now, but it used to be sort of, I did this A, B, C, and then D happened, and then we thought E after it. It's an incredibly boring storytelling process where it might mean something to you, it means nothing to anybody else. But as soon as you can tell a story with soul about what you're doing, you're beginning to resonate with somebody else and you can then communicate what's in your head and what's in your life and what you're passionate about to somebody else so that they actually get it. And that actually, I was going to say, it takes us back to sort of asking, well, how do you sort of connect with people in the C-suite? You tell stories, but you tell stories which are relevant to your audience. Right. And it was interesting because one of the things that came out at the PMO Global Conference was was the last day they announced the top 50 projects in the past 50 years. And one was Apollo 11. And I use Apollo 11 all the time when I talk about project management because it's an excellent example of what went right and what went wrong. Right. But I went through the book and I looked and said, oh, you can tell a story on this one, this one, this one, this one. All were great examples and all are excellent to be used to tell a story about project management. Hmm. Well, everybody can relate, right? Um, Because we all have a story. And even if we're listening, we put ourselves in your story. Right. Hmm. So it becomes personal. It becomes relatable. And we, when I talk with clients, I rarely talk about project management, right? We put it into terms that they understand and I understand because if I talk WBS and critical path, I've lost them. Right, right. Oh, yeah, you're done. So we have to relate. I know a former guest, Roger Haskett, was on, right? And, and Roger is, a, interestingly, he's a speaker, he's a, but he's also an actor, right? And, and same thing, part of his profession today is through his acting in his movies, how he learned how to use storytelling mm-hmm. to be able to engage with his clients and his customers to be able to be more productive. So this has really intrigued me since he was on the show to try to to dig into that in the project community to understand how we can leverage that better. Right, right. Well, you know, and yep. we've got two experts on that. I mean, <laughs> and the reality is, guess what this show is? This show, right, my, my theme is giving project management leaders a platform to tell their story. Right. It, it isn't the Joe show, right? It's, it's the show about guests and giving you all an opportunity to share. I actually use real-life stories sometimes changing the names to protect the innocent, but real-life situations as stories to help people learn all the time. I do it with entrepreneurs. I've done it when I've taught project management. People aren't afraid to pull a movie apart and say what's right and what's wrong. I taught a bunch of undergrads, and we actually used a scenario that they did a fundraising, and we pulled the fundraising apart. We had somebody get up and talk about how they did the fundraising and everything that was behind it. And then they used that story and helped one another learn different aspects of project management and went back and actually came up with a whole new project plan. I mean, the kids did a fabulous job. I was really surprised at how they just embraced the story of 
the fundraising challenges that they had. And somebody told the story and went from there. So uh, storytelling is a great way to teach and educate people. I, I'm always intrigued as well with how storytelling reveals new possibilities that are otherwise hidden. So it gets back to this idea of um, whether you're in project management or whether you're in um, some other form of uh, business, how do you see the landscape that, that lies before you so you can navigate around it? And this was deeply brought home to me in, in a class that I teach. So the the books called Films from the Future, but I teach an undergraduate class called The Movie Goey's Guide to the Future based on it. And one of the movies we watch is a movie called Elysium. Effectively, the, the richest 1% of the world are in the space station living in luxury and the other 99% are living in poverty um, on Earth. And it's, it's a very, very sort of blatant social commentary. But we watch this movie and then we have a discussion afterwards and one of the students puts their hands up and says, this movie is utterly ridiculous. This will never, ever happen because if those super rich people on the space station saw how awful it was on Earth, they'd do something about it. They wouldn't just let it go like that. At which point I sort of said, well... Where are the clothes from that you're wearing? Who made them? And you could see the light bulb going off in the student's head. They'd never realized that no matter how extreme the world was that they saw on the, the screen, it was nothing compared to the world that they're currently living in that they just weren't aware of. They weren't opening their eyes and seeing the landscape in front of them. But it was the movie that opened their eyes to that. Well, and I, the other part about storytelling is it's universal, right? So right. Andrew, with your accent, you're obviously from South Alabama. Of course. But the stories that you can relate to starting your career as, in the sewer mm-hmm. uh, industry within the UK <laughs> right, carries to those here in the US or to India or to China or to wherever. And, you know, the show's audience is 35% international. This isn't just a US show. Right. So that audience can hear your stories. And still relate to it. You've got a point of connection, yes. Yeah. So for me, project management is universal. Storytelling is universal. And being able to influence, motivate our project team members can be done through storytelling. Perfect. How powerful is that? (laughs) I love it. So the other thing is, you know, Laura, from your perspective, we've talked a little bit or a lot actually about how you help entrepreneurs in the project management world go from being an individual contributor to starting their company. What was your journey like with that, right? Because I guess our best predictor of future success is prior behaviors. And for you, you've been there. So what are those trip points for the future entrepreneur to learn from your lessons? I'm very honest. Um, When I started out on my own, it was after 9-11, And I had been married 10 years at that point and um, had not even been home a year because of all the traveling I was doing. So I had taken a step back and said, you know what, there's more to life than constantly being on the road. And I had done quite well. I had 10 years big four. I had started, I had been recruited to start an international consulting operation. I tell people I was very lucky when I graduated from college. I was recruited right out of college. So I had no complaints. And I also thought that when I would go out on my own, I would have no problems whatsoever. Look at all the experience I have. I have this expertise. Well, let me tell you, and I tell this to people, I struggled. And I struggled because I had big corporate experience and I was working in a market that I had very little experience in. I was accustomed to traveling all around and I had no network locally. 
And it took me a little time to figure out that I had to hone down on one thing because I sat back and said I could do A, B, C, D, and E. So I can do it. Let me get out there and just work. I also learned the power or what it meant not to have a big corporation behind me or the name of a big corporation behind me. When a major software company told me that it didn't matter what was in the contract, just sign it. I was going to be running a project or managing a part of a project because I was a woman-owned business for them. So I tell people going out on your own is not without risk. You need to take the time to really hone in on your focus, figure out what you want to do because you can't be the jack of all trades because then you'll be the master of none. And another valuable lesson I learned early on was I couldn't do it by myself. And it's more than just having the support of a spouse. It's you need to be able to reach out to other people and say, hey, I need help, even if you're an independent professional. So my experience has been fabulous. I would not change anything that I've done. But I'm very honest with people up front that don't be surprised if you make some mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get knocked down, but you have to be able to get back up and go forward. Hopefully I answered your question there, Joe. Yeah. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking, what does that look like in Indra's risk innovation accelerator, right? For entrepreneurs, that's regardless of the industry or the service you're providing, right? It's it's a lot sure. of commonality. There. I, there absolutely is. And a lot of it comes down to really recognizing what's important to you, um, what's important to the community around you, what is going to trip you up in the future, and what steps you can take to deal with that. So, for instance, um, what you mentioned about not going it alone, being aware that you really need to surround yourself with people that are going to be able to help you get over those hurdles. I know this is not rocket science, but too easily, I think we tend to forget about the obvious things that are going to trip us up, um, and that's when they trip us up. Uh, One of the things I tell entrepreneurs is they need to have a support structure, but the support structure is composed of of a number of different people. And I don't want to call it an advisory team because it's not. They're really in a support structure. This is the good friend you go to. This is your spouse who's always there. This is the person that maybe is the mentor for you. So you, you need to come up with that support structure because you're not that independent person doing everything by yourself, mm-hmm. even though we call them independent professionals. Yeah, I think it was our former guest, Renee Campisi, on the show talked about um, she's gone out on her own and she's created her own personal, I think she is term she was board of directors, that they their personal connections of hers that all have a role within her life to help her be level grounded and have the foresight beyond what she has individually, mm-hmm. right? And, and one is the mentor, one is the connector, one is the, you know, they, they bring their strengths to help right. her with her weaknesses. Right. And, and I tell people you can have a board of directors like a corporation who are providing advice about the business, or you could have an advisory group, which I call sometimes the advisory group, of people that are there to give you that mental support, that emotional support. That many times is different than that board of directors advisors, um, and some people need much more emotional support than other people. It deals with their personalities. You know, and one place obviously to get a lot of support like that is in a university setting, 
mm-hmm. uh, especially one of the largest in the U.S., especially one that has been voted for, I don't know, four or five years running the most innovative. Are we fourth or fifth year? might be the fifth year, actually, number one in innovation. Yes. So how, obviously, the university must be extremely supportive of the work that you're doing or Ruth Wiley and the others that maybe isn't non-traditional. I don't know if that's the right even term to use. It it is. So, So, yes, ASU is incredibly supportive of people that have good ideas um, and want to spin together ideas from different areas and really make a difference and and make an impact. And you don't see this in many other universities. Most universities are built around the idea that you give individual faculty members the chance to be entrepreneurs in their own world and do their own thing. ASU is very much focused on First of all, the social good. How can we actually be a force for good in society? And then how can we empower everybody here, our faculty, our students, and our staff to be part of that, that process? Um, and so you find, I mean, in some ways, it's a little crazy because you've got 6,000 plus people there just on the faculty side all trying to do amazing things. Um, so it's a really crowded area. But you find that if you have a really good idea and you can see where you're trying to go, the whole system does everything it can to help you get there. And I'm going to connect some dots here. Laura had mentioned mentoring. We talked about the support and innovation at ASU, and I'm going to call out on a former guest, Warwick Pond, who is a PMO director, manager within the ASU environment. Mm -hmm. And we have a mentoring program that we support, a nonprofit organization, VPMMA, the Veterans Project Manager Mentoring Alliance, And ASU has given us an opportunity to have some of our veterans attend courses provided at ASU for a scrum certification or Mm -hmm. certification at at no cost, right? So it's the – this connection to the community and support isn't just within the university. It's reaching out to nonprofits like us and helping us as well. It absolutely is. And so this is actually one of the reasons that I came to ASU. And it's this idea that the institution is focused on empowering people and empowering communities and everything else is in service of that. It's fantastic what they do here locally. Obviously, we all get to feel that impact. I don't know how much internationally and globally. You know, we're working on that. Yes. You know, we're unfortunately, we're kind of up uh, for time. It's amazing how quickly everything goes. And I think we've covered a lot of ground, some of it non-traditional in the project management space, but some of it spot on. And obviously, I want to thank Laura and Andrew, both of you, for being on today. I find it very fascinating and interesting show. Give each of you an opportunity to share with the guests or with our listeners, rather, uh, any other piece that we didn't get to today or where they can be in touch with you or anything that you have coming up that you might want to share with everyone. Sure. So really quickly, the work we do around risk innovation, you can simply go to riskinnovation.org and everything is laid out there. I am reasonably active on Twitter. So at 2020 science, and there's a story behind that that we won't go into. And I love to hear about what people are doing in this area and how we can help. And I should also say the book, which really is about risk innovation wrapped up in movies, um, just Google films from the future and you will find it. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Laura, same for you. How can you share uh, last thoughts with the listeners and way they can be in touch with you or things you have upcoming? Sure. The easiest way to get in touch with me, there's a couple ways, but the easiest way is Believe it or not, LinkedIn uh, is a great tool for anybody who's a project manager to find other people in the field. But 
with that said, you can check out Laura's Consulting Guide. There's a way to sign up for my email list. And I do send out a blog or a V-blog every week. It goes out on Wednesdays. Dealing with a topic that's related to consulting. But sometimes it's has a project management t- overtone to it. So project managers are finding it quite interesting. And I just recently started a YouTube channel that's out there. You just need to type in Laura Burford on, when you go to YouTube and you will find it very easily. Upcoming, I do have some upcoming speeches come down the pike, but the easiest way to st- stay on top of what's happening is to sign up for the email and you'll be notified. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And our next show is going to be November 7th. We're going to have Rich Maltzman, Jim Stewart, and Janelle Lee joining us. And we have, of course, a great lineup of guests for the remainder of the year and into next year, including Barbara Troutline, Stacey Sellier, Lisa Levy, Lindsay Scott uh, from the UK, and so many more. Also a reminder, of course, that these shows are recorded. We are live, but we do record them and release them as a podcast. So please subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your platform of choice is. And, of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Visit thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and PMO as a service. So that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. 